This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 207. The theme of today's show is use it all, making the most of your food. And the guest is author Alex Elliot Howery, who is also the founder of Cornersmith, a brilliant uh, cafe and cooking school in the inner west here in Sydney, uh, but inspiring people all around the world with her now three books. Uh, and today we're not just talking about the third book, Use It All, um, but a lot of the principles that come from transforming the way you cook and shop and use food uh, in uh, not only the course of your week, but the course of the seasons and the year. And it's a beautiful uh, philosophical conversation as well. This is one of my favorite, favorite topics. You guys know that. Uh, so to, to be able to have this conversation with uh, a fellow Alex and a fellow uh, food waste uh, advocate and uh, food maximization advocate uh, is um, is a real, real treat. And so I know you guys are going to love that. Uh, I'm going to jump into that conversation in just a few minutes, but I wanted to share with you a reminder that we have not one, but two show sponsors this month. And uh, that means you have two special offers. So the first is Block Blue Light, uh, a brilliant uh, shop that I get all my blue light blocking uh, resources from to make our gorgeous amber atmosphere in the evenings and not be exposed to blue light uh, in the home after dark, um, but also uh, in the bedroom, um, in uh, you, the glasses that you wear, whether you wear the daytime computer glasses right through to the more um, intensive blocking evening glasses, especially if you do actually have blue light bulbs in your home or you're going to be exposed uh, at an event or on an aircraft. Well, not m- many people doing much of that at the moment, but uh, it, really, really great range uh, and some really innovative things, a great sleep mask. I'll let you explore the whole range completely. And one of you is going to have a chance to explore $400 worth of the range with this week's giveaway. So uh, we have uh, a blue light blocking bundle and the ultimate blue blocking bundle consists of a premium nightfall blue blocking glasses for nighttime, premium screen time blue light blocking glasses for daytime. Uh, I've got a pair of them. They're fabulous. I really, really noticed the difference. Uh, A deluxe Delta sleep mask. And I love this sleep mask because it's only like a couple on the market where you don't, your eye doesn't get squashed and it's not an uncomfortable feeling. Uh, There's sort of a hollow pocket, um, but complete blue blocking uh, in the way it's designed, a really good mask, uh, especially if you live in the city where there's a lot of atmospheric light, you definitely want one of those. Uh, a no blue amber book light, my son has that and he loves his. Uh, a twilight blue blocking torch, which is like a little red torch uh, if you need to use it, um, say to pop to the bathroom or uh, that kind of a thing. Uh, and a sleep and sound uh, blocking wear uh, earplugs, which are 
potentially the most effective earplugs I have ever tried in my life. And as someone who um, has a husband who sometimes snores if he has a little whiskey, I can tell you they're very useful to to have. So all of that is going to be for one lucky winner and uh, is worth $400. So what you have to do to enter is uh, blue block, uh, block Blue Light is going to pop it on their Instagram as a giveaway and they're inviting the community to go like the Instagram page, like the post and uh, tag a couple of friends because, I mean, it's a big enough pack that you would definitely be have enough to share, especially if you've got one or two of the items uh, already, uh, then that can be something that you share with a friend. So all you got to do is head to like their Instagram post, uh, tag a couple of friends and like their Instagram page and uh, you're entered into the draw. And then I will announce the winner live here on the show next week. So not only that, it's not just a giveaway. You also have 15% off all of the products site-wide with the code LOWTOXLIFE. You can be forgiven for wanting to wait until who wins the giveaway uh, before heading onto the store and uh, exploring what you might need. Uh, I totally get that. So stay tuned next Monday. Otherwise, just jump in and make the most of it now. Why all this fuss about blue light blocking equipment these days? Is it not just something else we're being told we have to buy? Uh, Look, I am always for making sure we don't buy things we don't need. Uh, That's really important in today's world. However, uh, in today's world, we are exposed to more blue light than ever before. And there is a very strong case for wanting to protect our eyes from blue light exposure after dark. Why? Because in the afternoon to late, in late afternoon to evening is when our melatonin levels rise or they should be rising. And what the research has found is that exposure constantly to blue light uh, and that's sort of LEDs and uh, bright light bulbs, um, fluorescent bulbs, etc., um, is actually suppressing that natural increase in melatonin uh, through into the evening and night. And so what happens when we don't have a healthy rise in melatonin is we lose one of the most vital hormones uh, uh, and production of. And melatonin can do everything from promote eye health. So uh, there was a study actually done on 100 people um, with uh, age-related macular degeneration and they were supplemented just three milligrams of melatonin for six to 24 months to help protect the retina and delay the age-related damage. And uh, the study found that it decreased the melatonin supplementation, decreased the severity and incidence of retinopathy, um, an eye disease that affects the retina and can result in vision loss. So, I mean, that's huge. And then I could just cite so many different things. It's been shown in the research to help treat GERD. Uh, it's been shown in the research to promote human growth hormone. It's been shown in the research to, um, let me have a think, back to my memory bank, uh, to reduce seasonal depression. So there's a great study on um, seasonal affective disorder and some of the research shown between uh, melatonin dysregulation and circadian rhythm upset is one of the chief contributors to SAD, uh, seasonal affective disorder. So if you get seasonal depression in the winter, um, you know, you really want to make sure that you're mitigating that blue light. Um, It was a small study. It was only done on 68 people, but 
Imagine 68 people's lives changed and if we could do more research on bigger population groups. Uh, And then, of course, the massive one is that melatonin can support better sleep. And when we get better sleep, a whole bunch of things tend to happen better. We have uh, so much research on the critical impact of, of good sleep. And uh, there was a melatonin study done on 50 people with insomnia, shown taking melatonin a couple of hours before bed, helped them fall asleep faster, helped them enhance their overall sleep quality, helped enhance the duration of time they were asleep for. Uh, and, and so these are just, this is just a taste of uh, what melatonin can do. There's even research to show it's cancer protective. So... Um, It can't be underestimated how important it is for our bodies to naturally produce melatonin. I don't want us to head straight to just taking a melatonin pill uh, and then just continuing to live our lives bathed in blue light every night. Uh, I really believe that we can do better to mitigate our blue light exposure and have a better natural response in our bodies um, and protect the uh, production of melatonin within us. So uh, blue light blocking equipment helps us do that. Uh, And, um, you know, you can also set your phone and uh, computer screens if you do prefer to work at night or if you're a parent of young children and working at night's your only option. It's not about feeling guilty and about having to do that. Uh, It's about starting to... um, protect ourselves really. So good luck to everybody in the giveaway and a reminder that if you head to the Block Blue Light website, uh, blockbluelight.com.au, then you will be able to get that 15% off with the code LOTOXLIFE. Now, well, leader, I have a competition winner to announce, which is very exciting. And the winner is Amy G. Uh, we have replied to you in the um, comments, Amy. Hopefully you're listening now and you're jumping up and down. But this was uh, winning one of the pomegranate firming facial sets that was worth over $200. So you got the whole pomegranate firming range as well as the beautiful Walida oil, uh, the firming facial oil. And uh, you have won it. So congratulations. I'm sorry to hear you've had a really tough time of things with your health lately. And I dearly, dearly hope that this is going to put a big smile on your face and, uh, and a silver lining on this tricky time for you. So well done, Amy. And thank you to everybody for entering. I wish I could be like Oprah and uh, give this to everybody, um, but I can only give it to two people. So Amy, you are winner number one. And uh, Kerry, uh, which is uh, Gentle Annie is your um, uh, email because there were a couple of Kerrys that I saw there, uh, is the second winner. Um, For a second there, I just forgot that we (laughs) announced two winners. So Kerry, congratulations to you as well. And uh, I loved hearing about what Walida means to you as a brand, a great company worth promoting and supporting. I uh, agree wholeheartedly um, and, uh, and I hope you enjoy making the most of this new range uh, that you hadn't tried yet. Uh, so um, we do pick our winners at random. So everybody has just as much of a chance as the next person to win and we just go through and number all the comments and then go to random.org and then it spits out two numbers for us and that's how we decide the winners. So congratulations to Kerry and to Amy. Uh, I hope you enjoy your firming facial um, pomegranate range packs uh, and thank you to Walida for providing them for us. So I had a question uh, come up a couple of times both on Instagram and on 
the blog comments where you were entering the competition about, uh, you know, does it have almond oil in, does it do this, you know, and, uh, and so I just wanted to clarify the eight different oils that are used in this formulation. Just for anyone who was wondering, is this firming facial oil going to be okay for me? I have certain irritations. So the oils that are in there are apricot kernel oil, argan oil, avocado oil, jojoba oil, macadamia oil, pomegranate seed oil, safflower oil, and sesame. And all of them work in tandem to provide this beautiful texture It's a gorgeous product and it's normally uh, in um, the mid-40s price range-wise. So getting 15% off that is a really nice little helper to try a gorgeous new product from one of the uh, pioneering low-tox brands that's been around for nearly a century. A lot of people don't know that Walida was founded by Rudolf Steiner who was also the father of the biodynamic health uh, farming system, treating the farm as a whole organism and every single part of that farm needs to be healthy for the overall health of the farm to uh, thrive, uh, including farm workers, farm animals, uh, plants, soil that the plants are grown in, uh, and, of course, Steiner education. So when we talk about leaving a legacy, that man has left legacy in spades and uh, and it's just such a beautiful uh, product that has really held true to those biodynamic ordeal, uh, ideals um, of, uh, of nearly a century ago when Steiner gave his famous eight-lecture series in Europe uh, in 1924. And... Um, and I am always just so proud to uh, partner with Walida to share their work. Uh, they're one of the highest certified brands in the world with the UEBT certification, which you can read more about on the show notes. So just a reminder, you get 15% off the whole range of Walida as well for the Aussies. Um, and I forgot to say for Block Blue Light, they do international shipping. So everyone can make the most of the offer of 15% off there, no matter where you are. So all you need to do for the Walida offer is head to walida.com.au and your code is LOTOXLIFE for both offers this month to make it nice and easy. So enjoy both of those and enjoy this conversation on changing the way we uh, shop and um, use our food to the max uh, to obviously make things easier on the hip pocket, to make things lower in waste, and to really develop a deeper connection to food and the seasons. I am so, so excited to share this conversation. I think it will be tremendously uplifting, and I do hope you all go and grab a copy of Alex's new book, Use It All, out with Murdoch Books uh, now. Hello, Alex. How are you? Hello, I'm good. That's good. It's the first time I've ever had my namesake on the show. Cool. I know. You're, you're fancy with the double X. I am a bit fancy with the double yeah. X. That yeah. was that was teen individuality oh, amazing. Uh, craving way back when and it kind of right. stuck. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, so I'm so excited to talk to you. I know we've met a couple of times. Uh, one of my fondest memories is that incredible think tank that we were both a part of with Oz Harvest on food waste in Australia and how to uh, create messaging that really cuts through to people. And uh, while it was a very inspiring time, I still feel that we have a very long way to go on the food waste front. There's so much work to be done, um, which is exciting when it's work you want to do. So Um, I would love to start today's chat by asking uh, you, 
if you know you were always someone who uh, grew up kind of curious about scratch cooking curious about minimizing waste or was it something that kind of woke up for you in in waves uh, which often happens for people um, yeah. I'd love to see how it played out for you yeah sure so I grew up in um I guess an unconventional household. I grew up in a share house with my mom and her best um, two best gay friends. Mm-hmm. So I've got a million dads. Um, oh, how cool! They, I know my children have a million grandparents, but yeah, and it's amazing. But it uh, they were all very much into cooking, into food, into celebration, into you know sharing food around the table. We would sit together every night to eat. You know, there was a lot of time in the in the kitchen and the house, I guess. And when you're a kid growing up, I don't think you really realise the impact that kind of stuff has on you. It wasn't that we were talking particularly about food politics or food issues or anything, but we were enjoying food and celebrating food. And it was a very big part of my life. My mum's a really amazing cook. Um, my grandma, um, they, she grew up on a farm and my grandmother cooked from scratch out of necessity. Um, and then I guess my mum came in and did like the, the, the city version of that in a way. And then there were these, you know, other, other adults in the household who really loved food as well. So I hadn't really thought about it like that, but I think that just intrinsically, I've always felt really comfortable in the kitchen. I've always realised how, you know, just that food is part of your life. Like I didn't question it ever. So when I went out on my own and left home, I guess I comfortably fitted into that um, uh, role in my share houses, you know, where I was the host and the feeder and the, but I wasn't thinking about it in anything bigger than feeding my friends and family and the people that I loved. And I, you know, kind of enjoyed cooking enough to be the one that did it. Um, and then when I had my kids, so I had my kids kind of young, I was 25. Well, I mean, it's not young, young, but for our, our times, it was young and my friends weren't having babies. So I had my kids in my mid twenties and it was then, and you know, you cook so much when you're at home with kids. And I was really into not buying, um, you know, processed baby food. And I wanted to understand, you know, how to feed them well and our family well. But it wasn't until I guess, you know, toddlers, little people walking around in the world that I started thinking about food a bit differently. And I wasn't, um, I didn't know what I was doing with my life either because I'd had kids early, I'd done a degree and then that was kind of it. I was waiting. What was your degree in? Um, I did a fine arts degree and then I started a degree in a museum curatorship and then bam, bam, pregnant and everything just, you know, went on the wayside. But I was still figuring out my life. Like I hadn't made plans yet. So I guess I, like looking back on it, I must have merged, like I was um, hungry for creativity. So I must have merged feeding my family and food together into one. And that's when I started thinking about food because I'm a really obsessive person. And once I get interested in something, I like read everything and, mm, me too. <laughs> and you know, like I'm, I'm voracious. I can't yeah. stop. So I did lots of that kind of stuff, just about food in general and realized how, Fucked. Sorry, am I allowed to swear on this? I ruined. <laughs> you just did. There's <laughs> a first time for everything. Yeah. 208 shows we got to before <laughs> okay. the F word. That's me. It's Colson Alex from Corners. Um, anyway, I realised how ruined our food system was. And that's when I was like, oh, hang on. 
I've got to do something about this. I can't just keep, you know, shopping the way that I shop and, you know, coming home, filling up the fridge with food, cooking. Like I was cooking from scratch, but at the end of the week, there'd be stuff that I threw in the bin and there'd be stuff that didn't get eaten. And, and then I would lie awake at night thinking, if this is happening in my house, it's happening next door and then it's happening down the street and then it's happening all over yeah. Australia. And I was just like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Yeah, you have one of those life. moments. And I literally just wrote this um, in uh, my book's draft. So who knows if it's going to make it through to the final, but just that idea that when you have one of those huge realisations in yeah. life, I always think about those Hollywood movies that like they start screaming and it's close yeah. up. And then yeah. like it pans out until it's like planet earth, but you can still yeah. hear the scream yeah. and it's those huge moments where you're like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Hmm. So I think, yes, to answer like the long winded answer is yes. I've always been interested in food and cooking and I grew up learning how to cook from scratch. And then I got interested in, I guess the politics around it. And that's what kind of set me on my journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then how does a business take shape from that? What do you... So, yeah. Um, so how does Connorsmith come out of that? So I was at home with the kids cooking obsessively because I decided that the way that I was going to understand the food system was to teach myself how to cook everything from scratch so that I was less reliant on supermarkets. So I understand it, understood the seasons so I could avoid plastic um, and I could just... I, I want to live in the city. Like, I love the city. I don't want to live in Me the city. Me too. I really love it. But there's a disconnect from food, right? So I kind of wanted to understand it in our urban setting. Um, my partner, James, is uh, it has always been in hospo and was, you know, working at Mecca and um, All Press and coffee places and was just starting to get a bit like, maybe I want to do my own thing. So... I spent, I don't know, a couple of years um, cooking from scratch and just trying to get my head around, just getting my skills up, basically. And, like, when I say cooking from scratch, I was not just making soup. I was, like, trying to make Vegemite for the children and mm -hmm. they would just cry and gag. <laughs> and it, was like, it wasn't good. No, but we've that, got a special mum. <laughs> yeah, yes. And now that they're teenagers, they have a very special mum. Um, so, yes, I think... It wasn't just, you know, cooking home-cooked meals. I was really getting deep in You were there. pushing the envelope on yeah, the home I was front. Yeah, on, on, the, on the home front. Hmm. And I live in the inner west in Sydney and um, Dulwich Hill and Marrickville is where, and Earlwood are my kind of neighbourhoods. Um, and it's old Greek and Vietnamese neighbourhoods. There's heaps of fruit and veggies being grown here. Um, and I guess I was starting to think about food. So I started looking around my neighborhood and noticing and I was like oh in summer like there's just mulberries and figs that are just dropping on the pavement and rotting and in in winter there's just like there's a mandarin tree and a kumquat tree down the road just on the ground because no one knows what to do with anything so that kind of got me thinking about how do you if you've got too much of something what do you do and then I was like, oh, preserving. This is what my people preserve. So it was that kind of, it was like these slow moving connections that kind of, I don't know, it all sort of just come together. So because I'm a lunatic uh, or a very <laughs> special mum, I would um, take, push the kids in the pram, we'd go down to these houses and I would knock on the door. I'm, hello, I'm Alex. <laughs> would you mind if I picked up all your kumquats or picked your grapefruit tree or whatever it was? And I'd take all that stuff home and if it was good, 
I teach myself how to make something. So I'd make marmalade or I'd, you know, this um, amazing guy down the road told me in Chinese culture, they salt kumquats to have when they've got sore throats. So I was like, I'm doing it. And so, you know, <laughs> I would make everyone salted kumquats to cure their illness. And I dropped jars back to Did it work? Yeah, they're amazing. <laughs> awesome. They're actually amazing. So Picking up some home remedy tips yes. at the same time. Love it. <laughs> exactly. Mm. So, yeah, and then I started building up these connections with people in the neighbourhood. You know, we would talk about food or they'd give me a recipe or a home remedy or, you know, we'd talk about gardening. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I just kind of liked the vibe and it was filling up the void for me that is for stay-at-home mums, which is like, there's so many times you want to watch people and go to the park. And so I could kind of fit it in with um, raising my kids um, as well. So... Yeah, I guess that was kind of the start. And then James was getting itchy to have his own business. Um, and then I met this incredible woman, Jamie, who I've actually written my latest cookbook with. We met in a park. We both had kids. We didn't really know it. We were young. We didn't know anyone else with babies. And we started, you know, you sit around in parks and you talk about what you're doing with your babies and what you're feeding them and what's for dinner. And, but we started having these really interesting conversations that were about not just what's for dinner, but why is that for dinner? And I guess kind of that I was like, so I was so excited to meet someone to have those conversations with, like how much meat should we be eating? Should we be buying, you know, is something imported? Is a can of imported canned tomatoes terrible for the environment? Like how do we feel about frozen food? Like it's not so much just like, oh, what are we gonna feed everyone? kind of going deeper into it. So we just, yeah. And meeting someone like that kind of set me on the path of, all right, I've got something starting to take place here. And we would get together once a week with all the babies and cook and, you know, try try out new things and teach ourselves how to make canned tomatoes or whatever topic that we were like, all right, let's really talk about this. Um, so then I guess that's how Corner Smith got born. And I said, James said he wanted to open a cafe and I said, if we're going to do it, we've got to do it, not my way, although I meant it. <laughs> we've, got to, we've got to incorporate this got to, passion. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's not just going to be coffees and paninis, which was kind of cafe culture 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, so we took that ethos that I was exploring, merged it with his actual, like... Coffee skills. You know, and he can actually do things like I'm like, mm. and now we're going to just pick all the Mulberries in Maryville. <laughs> and he, like, I don't know how to open the cafe or do a roster or put the alarm on or anything helpful. Um, so... Sounds like my husband. <laughs> yeah. I, I am the visionary. He is yeah. the master do doer. He just like, does actually, all yeah. things. And yeah. actually makes the business work. So mm. that is how, I guess that's, yeah, that's how Connor Smith got born. And we opened a little shop in um, Marrickville, just down from our house. And the rest is history. The rest is history. Beautiful cooking school and all sorts now. Yeah. My husband learned how to make gluten-free bread at Cornerstone. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. did that for me as a surprise because I'm, I'm gluten-free. Oh, and, that's so nice. Yeah, it was a delicious recipe. Happen. We pull it out often. Yeah, good. Um, great. Okay, so let's talk about... Um, uh, Use It All, which is the title of your new book. And obviously, Use It All uh, speaks to using it all. Like, we're really focused on uh, minimizing food waste. And I'm always fascinated by why we don't talk about food waste more. 
Uh, given if it were a country, it is the third largest emitter behind the US and China. Sometimes we don't chase after things in the right order or with the right amount of exposure that warrants um, that level of exposure for the problem that it is. Um, especially when all of us can play our part so easily, we can really start to chip away at this today. What yep. is it? What are your thoughts? Look, I don't know. Every time I read a statistic about food waste, firstly, I just feel like I'm going to vomit. But then also, it is shocking. It is shocking that we don't talk about it more. And thank goodness that it's coming into mainstream media now um, so that more people are becoming more aware of it. When we first started 10 years ago, it was very fringe to have these kind of conversations. Um, for me, domestically, I think... It's going to be easier to make change because people are in charge of their own decision making within their household. And once they're armed with the skills and the knowledge, I feel like, you know, a lot of people are going to make changes. In the hospitality industry, that's where I'm panicking because that, and that's when I first started really thinking about food waste. You know, we order all this food in sometimes, and it's not so much just even the, you know, the things coming in plastic or whatever. It's actually that the people aren't coming in the door like you think they are. And the stuff that you ordered, you know, and I'm a tiny little business. Like imagine a huge, I don't know, airline. An events or, business or yeah, an airline, an yeah. You know, like those big things. So, yes, I think that it's a really big issue. I think it definitely has to change. I think it's starting, which I'm, I'm going for overwhelmed, but also hopeful because, I don't know, don't you think in the last couple of years it's suddenly getting talked about in a way that it hasn't been ever it before? It is. And I think quite cleverly, a lot of big businesses are starting to see it as a positive PR opportunity to be doing something Absolutely. about, about Absolutely. this. Absolutely. And as long and as they actually are, then I'm all Yeah, for that's it. right. And I think it's, we can't underestimate our uh, role as a collective of grassroots people just going about their business, doing their best in their homes in talking about it more and more and pushing for it more and more, sending that email and saying, I noticed there was all this leftover food, where was it going? And really pressing because I think that zeitgeist gets picked up on by these big companies and anyone's social responsibility team in a big corporate is always looking for the next thing to look good about. And that's just the reality of what that department Exists Absolutely. as. And, it's good um, and they do great work in yeah. those departments. It can't be underestimated. So I think it all matters. Um, uh, yeah, we can't just hope that the big guys start. No, and doing I, look, stuff. you know, if it, if it makes anyone feel better, I've had so many corporates get in touch now to say, so food waste. Like yeah. We need to be teaching our staff or clients or, yeah. I mean, yes, 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 yes. So, look, I think change is, change is coming, but I also think it has to, you know, I think people feel often that, well, what would me saving my food scraps or buying less food or whatever it is actually do in a global, um, and I think it does make change. I think we have to go with anything that you do does make change. I'm not expecting anyone to do this perfectly. I do not do it perfectly at all, but I think making that start. And you're right, the consumer, you know, if we make changes at the supermarket and the supermarket goes, oh, hang on, people don't want X anymore. They, they're, everyone's thinking about this. So, you know, and you would hope that would go up and up the chain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think to speak to directly then um, what people can do, uh, what if you had to make three things float to the top 
on things that you would love people to realize uh, when it comes to that ethos of starting to really look at using it all, what would you challenge us to start this week? Um, so I think like our cookbook, I'm just trying to think about it. So our cookbook is a really good way to start thinking about this. We broke it down. It's really domestic. So our other, I've got two other cookbooks and they're really about Cornersmith basically, which is how to eat like Cornersmith, how to um, preserve, how to like properly learn how to preserve so you can fill up your pantry with 20 jars of stuff. This book, Use It All, is very, very domestic. Um, Jamie and I wrote it together. We are both very busy working, full-time working mums. Um, so it's that kind of like, I'm coming home from work, I'm going to do this. It's, it's a, really about changing your habits in the kitchen, I think, rather than, um, you know, I don't want anyone to completely overwhelm themselves and feel crappy about themselves because hundred percent you know like mm. i've got fish fingers in my freezer we get takeaway pizza like i have bad days i have good days yes. you know and i thank think you for saying that i yeah. think it's really important to say it mm, you know and like i've got teenagers they're not they don't want everything that i am putting on the table all the time now so and they've got their own money and they go to kfc and i cry and you know like that <laughs> that's life <laughs> But that is life. That is yeah. life in the modern context while we're trying to move the beast. Yeah, it's going to take time, yeah, you know, it's and it's not going to be perfect. No. So, look, I think that what we did with the book, which I think is different to other cookbooks, and I do think I love cookbooks and I have a huge selection. You can probably see a lot of them behind me. But I feel like the issue with uh, traditional cookbooks is that it's recipe after recipe after recipe. They're all beautiful. They're all amazing. There's 15 ingredients. So you go and get those ingredients, um, you make that recipe and then you eat it that night and then the next day you turn to another recipe and you do the same thing all over again. I feel like that actually creates a lot of waste. Yeah, and it creates um, a, a lot of um, missed opportunity to really learn. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And then you've got half a jar, you know, half a can of coconut cream left in the fridge or you've got half a packet of something and you don't go back to that recipe again for a while and... So in the book, we broke it down into eight seasonal shopping baskets, um, which, and the way that I think is kind of the future of food, I guess, is heaps of fruits and veggies, obviously, small amount of protein, whatever, you know, if you're a meat eater or not, whatever your protein choice is, and then some pantry staples. And you can actually make a lot out of those, those three categories. Like you don't need much more than that, really. And I think it's probably, and, and the seasonality, I think, is if you understand the seasons, you actually understand food in a way that is going to make you be a better cook, a more creative cook. It's kind of like, without sounding like a hippie, connecting with fruits and vegetables or, you know, a whole basket of ricotta or a whole chicken or whatever you bought, connecting with that, understanding its flavour, even understanding its history. Like, why do we have this? You know, it's kind of understanding what it goes with, understanding, you know, you could look at one thing like a whole cauliflower and suddenly six things spring to mind. And that's the kind of cook we all need to be, which I think is our grandmothers and our great-grandmothers. Like we didn't eat Moroccan. They didn't eat Moroccan one night and then be like, actually, I feel like a luxa tonight. And then, you know, like... But you've just totally uh, honed in on three words that um, I, I have been obsessed about and ruminated over. I feel like, and we've gotten to this point where we're allowed to just 
feel like whatever we feel like. And this is, I believe it has not only caused a huge amount of food waste, but it has also caused the epidemic of fussy eaters. Absolutely. Because we actually ask our two-year-olds what they feel like. <laughs> yeah, I've exactly. seen it a billion times. I know this. I educate, teach millions of parents. Yeah. And so uh, I really think we need to shelve, I feel like. Yeah. And start. And this is what we have. Yeah. This is what we have. Yeah. So I guess that's why we broke it down into the shopping baskets. And that seasonality is you might have a whole lot of silver beet one week because it was really cheap at the market or you grew it or that's what was on special at the supermarket. Like whoever you are, wherever you're shopping, go for those things. And I think, you know, we need to be more resourceful. We need to stop spending so much money, especially on food that we're just going to throw away anyway. So, you know, understanding the seasons means you're eating better quality food. It's more nutritious. It's cheaper. Um, and you're supporting local farmers, which is also, you know, it's kind of like a bigger conversation. So I think first and foremost, I want people to eat seasonally. Please stop getting asparagus from Peru or mangoes from California. Like we don't need to have all, just because you feel like one, exactly. Just because you feel like a cherry in winter, too bad. Wait yeah. till summer. There's other 100%. things. 100%. Have an apple. Mm. So, and it'll make you so much more grateful when that season exactly. comes around. It's so special when you yeah. see the cherries at the market and the little boxes. It's like, yay. Exactly. And that's <laughs> what we need to do with all ingredients is really kind of understand when, they're, when the best time to eat them is and then really eat them. So in these shopping baskets that we broke down, we show you how to do a couple of big bulk cooks. So if it is um, silver beet, for example, I saute heaps of it on Sunday, you know, really yummy, make it really delicious, keep it in a sealed container in the fridge. Monday night I get home from work, I take a couple of cups of that and we have a spinach pie. And, you know, that's delicious, everyone gobbles it up. The next day I might take a couple, a cup of that and add chickpeas and coconut milk or something i'll turn it into a curry and it doesn't feel like you're eating spinach pie for the whole week which, yeah you know, totally but there's spinach incorporated in my meals for three or four days yeah and i will buy two or three bunches it means i don't have to think and i think that's part of the problem is that you get home and you're like you've got all your cookbooks and someone feels like thai food and someone feels like something else and i just don't think i'm like well it's the spinach week so or, you know, there's a, um, another chapter where we tell you to do a big um, tray at the beginning of the week of roasted root vegetables. So carrot, pumpkin, like whatever you've got. And then there's a recipe to turn it into a soup. There's a re recipe to turn it into a curried vegetable pocket. Um, there's a recipe of how to turn it into um, a, a, a fish cake, you know. So you're kind of just using that same base in the season where it's in. You don't feel like you're eating the same thing all the time. Um, and for me, that's made me be able to cook from scratch during the week when I get home from work to know what we're eating. And I don't buy very much food. Mm. And I think that's probably a tip if I can. Yeah. One. Yeah. Don't buy so much. Mm. You don't need that much food. Like I don't have an Instagram pantry or fridge. It's pretty bare. And my <laughs> kids are constantly like, there's no food in the house. <laughs> and I yell back, well, cook something. <laughs> You need so, a t-shirt. We'll cook yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that, yeah, that's, I guess, so seasonality, buy less food and start to understand ingredients. Like if you know what something goes with, if you know how two vegetables go together, you don't need a recipe. You know, you know what, you'll start to know what flavours go with it. 
I don't know, it all just sort of, I don't really use cookbooks anymore, particularly. And that's, you know, I'm a really experienced cook, but I think get to that point where you know what, you know how to open the cupboard and open the fridge and not panic. Mm, and that's, I think, going to be so key mm. uh, to starting to diminish food waste uh, is actually developing food literacy. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Food literacy is the way to the way to talk about it. And so then we've, you know, we do this batch cooking and we show you how to do things. I also think learn how to store your fruits and vegetables and meats and cheeses and everything really well. Because if you can do that, like most people buy, the main ingredient I get asked about is celery constantly because everyone wants to buy the whole thing. They don't want to buy it wrapped in plastic, but they're overwhelmed by the celery. A huge bunch of celery. Yeah, Yeah. and fair enough. It's huge. But if you get home, you cut the tops off, you know, the leaves, don't chuck them in the bin because there's so much you can do with that. And I think that's this thing that we've been taught to cook is you chop the top off, you chop the bottom off, they go in the bin or the compost if we're lucky, and then you use the middle bit. Mm. Well, that was, um, thanks. I reckon we can blame Escoffier for a lot of our food waste. Yeah. (laughs) For all his pretty cooking that he brought to the world at the Ritz. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of French Mm. cooking is very, Mm. you know, clean and I don't know. I feel Mm. like we need to go back to looking at the whole ingredient, understanding there's flavour. Most things are edible. Like don't Mm. eat rhubarb leaves, listeners, but everything else. (laughs) Go for it. Do not eat the rhubarb leaves just in case that cut (laughs) out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Um, So, yeah, the celery is a really good example. So I will chop the leaves off. I wrap them really well in a damp chucks or a damp cloth, and then they can go into a bag or a container. I use the celery leaves. I make celery leaf pesto. That recipe is in the book. It's really delicious. It's kind of like lighter than basil pesto. It's fresh and light and slightly salty and delicious. Or I won't buy... If I've got celery, I won't buy herbs that week and I'll use the leaves as my herbs. So that kind of, you know, so I'll put the frittabouli or on top of something or through a salad. Um, the stalks, I wrap really well in a, um, either wrap them in a big beeswax wrap or some kind of damp cloth as well. But I actually cut them down into the size of a container, put a little bit of water in the bottom, put the lid on. And then they'll last for two weeks. You will not eat celery at all. Yeah, and then perfect. the base I put in the freezer and I use that next time I'm going to make stock. Yeah, same. And so I think that kind of thinking around anything that you buy, it's, it's valuing it. It's putting value on it. It's buying that celery, even if it's only four bucks and going, mm. I appreciate you, celery. Yeah. I am not going to let you. Well, I buy organic celery for nine bucks. So <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that, you celery. appreciate that celery. Every and freaking centimetre of that thing exactly. gets used. And that's yeah. part of the problem. Food is, <laughs> food is too cheap. Yeah. You know, because you can buy, spend four bucks on celery or even nine dollars on celery. And you're like, oh, it's only a couple of bucks doesn't matter um and i think my other tip would be to understand why traditional food crafts existed i think they've become nostalgic and cute and i'm a pickler or i'm a yeah and I it's hipster of someone who has built their whole business <laughs> off that you're a hipster on steroids <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but there is a reason why we do it And number one, preserving food came about because people valued food so much or needed it so much, they would not let it go to waste. So understanding, you know, why you add vinegar to something or why you add salt to an ingredient, you know, to something or why you cover something in oil, all those things are actually food preservation techniques to stop food going off. 
the outcome is that you have something really delicious to eat, but the reason for it is to reduce food waste and to, so, you know, you're not wasting anything, money, resources, anything. So for me, I don't, people, and this book is different in that I'm not telling you to make 10 jars of anything. I'm telling you to understand food preservation and make one jar. Mm. If you've got a lonely Just knock it together. Yeah. Yeah. And like while you're making spaghetti bolognese, if you've got two celery sticks left over, don't go, oh, well, I'll chuck them in the fridge and do something. Just pop them under a quick pickling brine. Um, and then suddenly you're going to have pickled celery. And when your friends come over for Bloody Marys, they're going to think you're the coolest person in town. You know? Yeah. It's just mm. kind of like quick, quick tips. Mm. Love it. Um, more Bloody Marys, everybody. More Bloody um, Marys. <laughs> KFC and Bloody Marys. Can you believe I've said both of them? <laughs> Living the imperfect life perfectly. Exactly. Um, okay, so I'm curious to know whether in your personal evolution of broadening your understanding of food and going as deep as you have, has there been anything that surprised you um, about what we can do with food? Like genuine kind of kid in a candy store, uh, you know, excitement for things that you've discovered along the way that was really like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I can do that. What are some of the things that really stand out for you? I'm going to say almost every day I have that because I read lots of books and I'm interested in how food works and why things... I'm interested in the history of food as well. Um, So um, actually, Jamie, this morning, here's an example. Jamie, who I wrote the cookbook with, sent me a text this morning about something that she'd been reading about how ketchup um, started... It was not tomato-based at all. It was walnut or mushroom-based. And it was a fish sauce with another ingredient in there. Like, And it started in China. But, you know, like, it's kind of like that gets you really excited. And then and then I'm, so, I, of course, I text her back and I'm like, we're making walnut ketchup next week. Yeah. So, there's this sort of understanding <laughs> the history of things. And then you kind Isn't of... Isn't that five-year-old going to be excited when that <laughs> arrives at the table? Mummy, where's the ketchup? No, children. We the are weird lady. <laughs> walnut fish sauce instead. <laughs> um, so, I think the, it, that kind of started for me when I was early on when I was just thinking about all of this stuff and I'd go to the supermarket and I would just stare at the mustard aisle mm. and I'd be like, what is mustard? Like yeah. I'd never thought about it before. Yeah. And I was like, this is here. Someone must have made it at some point in their mm. home. And then I'd go home and be like, all right, cool. I'm going to try. History and- of mustard. I'm going to read about the history of mustard, get really amped up and then I'm going to make mustard. Uh-huh. So I think that um, that kind of enthusiasm for me is does get me excited um on a on a um i guess more you know at home domestic kind of level i feel like i've had conversations with people around food waste or around you know storing vegetables or the way that we shop or things like that that have just been like oh of course um and one of those things very early on we had an amazing chef who worked with us called sabina who i wrote my second book with and she was, she would just say small things to me. Like I'd be going, oh, I've just always got, you know, too much pasta, like a da da And she, and like, I've cooked too much pasta. And she said, how many people in the house? Four. She said, on average, a person will eat X amount of grams of pasta. So you just weigh it before you cook it. Mm. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like, you know, I'm in this world. This is my yeah, whole yeah. world. And still I hadn't kind of made all those links yeah and now yeah. i just know exactly how much rice to cook exactly how much pasta to cook so 
or never have any leftovers because often it's not enough to quite make another meal out of yeah. it. And, or you make more so that you intentionally have leftovers because you've got then, an idea for tomorrow. Exactly. And mm. then, you know, or, and then you end up going out and then the rice sits there. And yeah, yeah. So kind of actually, it was all for me, the light bulb moment was minimising everything. Don't buy too much when you go to the shops because you're actually, you've got a busy urban life. It's not, you're not just at home every night with, with these great intentions, you know, so buy less. Um, and I think then like be, it's a little bit more strategic, I guess, in some ways. But then also just use everything, like buy less and use everything. Buy less and use it all. That's yeah. that's, that's the catch line. That's really catchy. Line. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, and then starting to understand things like, oh, so there's so much flavour in pineapple skin and in Mexico they make a drink out of it. Um, and I didn't know you could eat the green parts of leeks at the very top. I'd always just been taught that you use the white part. So all of that kind of knowledge once you have one little light bulb moment, this sort of just keeps coming. And the thing I love the most about teaching at the cooking school is passing that information on and seeing everyone else have their light bulb moment. So, you know, like with fennel is a great example. I teach a lot of um, pickled fennel and um, that you can eat the stalks and the fronds. I'm going to say 90% of people had no idea. Really? I'm like, cut off a little slice. And well, I guess t- once upon a time, I wouldn't have realised that either. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're starting on this journey, you've been taught those bits go in the bin. So they cut it off. They have a taste, mind blown. And that gives me like this. That's where I'm like, ah, just small little things in your house. No one needs to be making walnut ketchup. You can leave that to me. (laughs) But the small things. I do want to try that though. (laughs) I'll send you a bottle. (laughs) Um, The small things are where the change needs to happen. Yeah, 100%. And I think, yeah. Agree. And I think we're quite addicted to the big things, which is what stops us from advancing on the small things. And I I know that in myself, like I'll watch, um, no, I won't watch because it's um, terrifying, but uh, uh, you know, some huge global political um, discussion. And then I'll think, well, when was the last time I actually wrote to my MP and I'll pull myself up and I'll do something on a a local level. And I know to have that awareness about that tendency I have now. But I think we all have that tendency. We all gravitate towards the big, big stuff. Think about like guru culture, celebrity culture. It's all about the big things. And I think that comes in when people think, well, my little, my little change in my house won't make a difference because it's the big stuff, but it really does. And look, if you're not going to, you know, start to reduce plastic or try not to throw things in the bin, then you're right. Send a letter to council. Like there's other ways that you can get involved in this movement than just, you know, and also I really want to, I really want to reinstate that just start, like don't wait until the perfect time when you're not stressed and life is, you know, at that perfect moment where you can suddenly become zero waste because it's bullshit. Um, It really needs to be, you know, maybe next week when you're at the shops, choose a whole ingredient that nothing that's been pre-portioned or plastic wrapped and, you know, do a little experiment. Like maybe it is cauliflower and saute your leaves in lots of garlic and butter and like give yourself a pat on the back. And then, you know, for a month or two, that's your change. And then you find another one and you add to it. And then suddenly before you know it, you're making walnut ketchup. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say absolutely because I'm not going to commit to that live on the show. I don't know. I'll try yours first. <laughs> but um, it also made me think um, one of the awesome ways to sort of start infiltrating the idea of, of lowering waste and using it all is to cook with people more because they see you doing stuff or you see them doing stuff. You might learn something from them. And I know... Um, my mum comes to stay with us a couple of nights a week uh, where we are. And uh, just the other night she brought, she always brings a meal to contribute for the week. And um, she brought these beautiful confit duck legs and um, they come in a lot of like fat and jelly and all their, all their goodness. And so we roasted them and we had heaps of veggies and the roasting pan came out and she's, she was going to just um, wash it in the sink. I was like, no, 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 let me get a jar. (laughs) I always save any of that stuff because then you can just cook the next onions with it and it's flavour implant for the base of the next dish. And I learnt that from cooking um, and from bartending, but working in restaurant bars where, you know, we always had access to amazing chefs who made the most of everything all the time. There was always a stock pot of completely nondescript yeah. Off cuts of absolutely everything. That absolutely, it's amazing to me yeah. that how much flavour all those rejects had. Yeah, and, um, and I think if you cook together, you start to pick up tips from each other. Yeah, and have those conversations. And I think that's why people like our cooking classes so much. Is that what well, we are on pause because of COVID? But once you know, we'll, we'll re-emerge from that. But it's you know, fourteen people in a room together who have a, they're there, like they've chosen to come to Cornersmith classes. So there's a, there's a spark of interest and the stories that they all share, like it's, you know, stuff comes from me cause I'm the teacher, but the stories that they all share amongst themselves is incredible. And then I hear stuff of, you know, someone's grandmother from a culture that's not, that I don't, I'm not aware of their food traditions. And so I'll hear these kind of stories. And yeah, I just think we need to talk about food more. And not be afraid of it. There seems to be so much fear around a lot of stuff as well. You know, not knowing if something's off or like trusting your instincts and trusting, trusting if you know, that you know the right decision to make. Oh, 100%. There was some, um, we actually don't buy um, cream very often, but um, it was uh, on special. So I just couldn't pass that up. So I was already planning the three things that it'd go into over the week. And um and the use by date sort of came and went, um, but I wasn't worried because it's so high fat. And usually I know you've got an extra couple of weeks, had a taste. It's like, yeah, perfect. Bung it in. Um, and, uh, and I think it's, as you say, you really um, it, it hit it. Uh, what is it? Hit the nail on the head um, by saying, trust yourself. Like you're, you know, often better than some sticker on a piece of food. Yes, and look, our grandmothers did not have, our great-grandmothers perhaps did not have used by date. No. had to <laughs> trust your senses. So you looked yeah. at food, you smelt food, you tasted food yeah. before you made a decision if it goes into the bin. And I tell people that a lot in the classes, especially around pickling and preserving because um, people have become afraid of time, T-I-N-E, when it comes to food. So just because something's been there for a long time, it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with it. People will say, oh, but, you know, it's been there for three months or something. I'm like, yeah, but if it's vinegar-based or if it's very high fat or if it's, you know, lots of salt in there, it's pretty unlikely anything's going to be wrong. So don't use time as the bad guy here. Yeah. And use by dates are there 
as a guide. So companies don't get sued, probably. Yeah, of so you course. Throw food away and buy more. Yeah, um, but do you feel like part of it is um, like the time being the bad guy issue? is this idea that we now live in this I feel like culture where we start from scratch every day based on our mood and desires? Yes, definitely. Mm. Um, I think that's a huge part of it. But I think also we're so disconnected from food. So we don't, in cities, so you go to the supermarket, you have no conception of how that actually got there. You know, who grew it? How did it get there? Um, You know, how much water did it take? I think understanding... I guess it's agriculture as well kind of makes you value food in a way that, and maybe not throw it away in that same way. So I think that disconnect um, that we have at the supermarkets, it just means that you're, it just means that you're easily chucking something in the bin because out of sight, out of mind. Like it's not, you know, whereas I know, like I make my own passata every year and I try and make enough for our family to get through winter so we don't have to buy any crappy tomatoes. Um, but I know how much work goes into making passata. So I would never waste a single drop of it. Yeah. You own it in the shops, it's two bucks. You know, you can get a can of tomatoes for nothing really yeah. these days. And so you don't, you know, do you know kind of what I'm saying? Yeah, it's exactly. I don't know. I think it's putting... The more you connect, the more you value, basically. And whether that's around growing food yourself or it's around trying to cook something from scratch or doing a bit of research about an ingredient Mm. um, or even the history of it, you know, whatever it is that kind of floats your boat, it makes you connect with it, it makes you value it and hence maybe not throw it away in the same... with the same, you know, just thoughtlessness. Yeah, 100%. Um, and such an amazing and important endeavour for us all to... Oh, and kind of fun, you know? Yeah, I feel like super I fun. A heaps more creative and um, interesting cook since yeah. I started this. Um... One day you wake up and you're making mushroom ketchup. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's really extreme. I should not have brought that. <laughs> no, I love it. It's kind of been our little, our little funny thread. <laughs> do have a challenge now to myself is that uh, you know I want the fridge in the pantry to kind of be empty at the end of the week so I can start it up again and it's become a bit of a personal challenge and I think if you're a slightly you know if you like a challenge or you're a slightly competitive person it's also a drive like have a competition with your flatmates or your housemates or your partner or whoever it is and see how much you can actually use and how at the end of the week it's so satisfying when it's like everything's empty yeah. Um, and start the process again. Yeah, which is which is nice because then you're still giving yourself that everything is new and shiny. Yeah. Human hit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Psychologically. Need. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's about unpacking those basic needs and then emulating them in the way that we structure our week around food. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and our seasons. Also, yeah. yeah. And I think also give yourself a break. Like, yeah. you know... Love that. Okay, because my next question was going to be around busy people. Yes, of course. So, um, well, look, obviously, <laughs> yeah. uh, and and I, I don't think there's there's anyone who's particularly not busy uh, no. because we're all choosing to do the things we're doing in life, and our days yeah. are full with those things. Yeah. Um, some might argue that there are extra pressures in the city because of the way life is set up in the city for 
um, just more stuff to be happening yeah, absolutely. Um, than regionally. But, um, you know, I know a lot of busy farmers who are out there from 5am. Well, exactly. uh, <laughs> exactly. So uh, getting their kids to soccer and, you yeah, know. Yeah, busy is not mutually exclusive with city no, life. No, What are some of your um, favourite hacks to help people feel like they can do this Um without sort of you know because a lot of people hear about something um that excites them and then they want to go all in and then it's like two weeks of perfection and like wow I've really done this but then you literally have a nervous breakdown because it just took so much out of you and then you've you know the proverbial falling off the wagon situation happens and then you feel guilty yeah and I'm Mm. a perfect example of that because when I first started and I realized about how ruined the food system was, I went hard and I went hard for 12 months. And I think actually looking back, it probably was some sort of small breakdown in that I had two small children. I was creeping up to 30. I didn't know what I was doing in my life, you know, and I wanted to kind of, it was perfectionism was part of it. So, you know, I didn't buy anything imported. I didn't buy anything um, that wasn't from a company that I'd read about. I didn't buy anything wrapped in plastic. I was avoiding the supermarkets. Like, you name it, I was... I you was were hardcore. It. You went was all hardcore. in. Yeah. It was exhausting. Mm. It basically almost broke me. And it became really stressful in our household. Like, food time actually became quite stressful because there was so many... There was so much tied up in it for me, like politically, and there were so many restrictions, and you know, I was I was all over it, and I'm very glad that I've come out of that because it mm. didn't, it wasn't helpful. Um, well, yeah, and a lot of people um, can can do. I, I've seen a lot of stressed out organic people. Yes, of course, I see a lot of them who as, try as and well. do it a hundred percent. Yeah, and um, and it's it's. it's an, yeah, you still have to live in the world. Yeah, you still have to live in the world exactly. Mm. So, I'm now. I'm going to say. I do a 60% good job Um, and I have really good weeks and bad weeks. My good weeks are where I really have a think before the week starts, whether that's on a, like whenever your working week starts or your just whatever day works for you. I have a really good think about the week ahead Um, and I'm not so much into meal planning because I'm very, like I'm quite spontaneous and yeah, me too. busy and, you know, like I'm like, oh no, we're going to go for dumplings in Ashfield tonight. You know, like there's that part of our life as well. Um, so I'm not so much like, well, Tuesday we're doing this and Wednesday we're doing this and get tied to it. Um, so I probably would think about maybe three to four meals out of the week is thought about on some level. I always do a batch of something like my best weeks are on one day. I do a big batch of something. I bake something for the lunch boxes. I like stew apples so I can kind of pull together or whatever fruit, excess fruit I have. So I can pull together a crumble, you know, and be an, a fun mum and buy vanilla ice cream and you know like that I've got that yeah. kind of I would never make pastry in the middle of the week ever so I would buy pastry for that so it's choosing what fits in with your like if we're going to have a pie during the week if I've got the spinach I will buy phyllo pastry um whereas if it's the weekend I'll be like you know what I'm gonna take that extra 15 minutes and make pastry out of it um but I think the thing is really is kind of not putting like not trying to have these big elaborate meals either you know I think 100% I love Uh, like I love him I love what he's done he's taught me so much but that's not dinner on Tuesday night no you know and I think there's this pressure in houses that are particularly interested in food to be serving up incredible meals every night yeah Yeah. agree Mm. yeah whereas 
I don't know. I think some of the most delicious meals are very humble. Mm. Um, so lower your standards. Maybe. Yeah, agree. I know. Um, I'm in the middle of writing my book at the moment, as you know, and um, there's a section with um, with just some some food literacy development, just on like basic basic meals, just to get people thinking. Oh yeah, actually, I do have a, me- a meal in twenty minutes. Yeah, with exactly. what I've got. Yeah, and um, and. I was writing and I was thinking, like, are people going to find this really boring? <laughs> oh, I know. I know. They don't. I, that's what I felt about the whole book. I was like, is this too boring? Is this really annoying? Um, but I think where we lack the confidence is in the basics. That's the yeah. problem. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's that we don't have enough people who can rustle and no. feel confident with the rustle. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So mm. and I think that's what I wanted my book to be, a bit of a springboard. So... You look in your fridge and you're like, right, I definitely bought broccoli. Maybe I bought too much of it, whatever. Flip to my book, you kind of go, yeah, that's right. You can make this and this out of broccoli. Oh, actually, so-and-so has this awesome broccoli recipe. Like, you might not be just my recipe. It's just kind of a springboard to the next. And I love the way you've set it out. It's so, so clever. I hope it's really helpful to people. It's sort of 10 years of me and Jamie talking about every single day we work together, what's for dinner? And that's like, how are we going to do it quickly? Like we don't get home till six, there's homework that needs to be done. There's, you know, blah, 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 blah. But generally I want to eat home cooked food. Um, I don't want to always, I don't really like takeaway to be honest. And, you know, I want home cooked food and I want to feel good after I've eaten. And hits the spot maybe once a month for us. I reckon. Yeah. Oh, totally. you just think, look, there's no way I can make yeah. a curry like Hyatt makes over at Flavor yes, of India. Absolutely. So I am headed definitely. his way tonight. I'm yeah. I'm all for it. And I would say it's more than once a month in my household. We've got two very busy working parents. Yeah. Um, so it's, but there's, you know, I do, I think it's just also learning how to cook. So you can kind of, you know, if someone says to you, make a curry, some people would just be like, that is too hard. I would need an entire Sunday. My mm. husband's a really good example of that. Or I would need like, a recipe book. I've, I need a recipe. I need half a day. I need the kids out of the house. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. So is Ollie. He's no. a project cook. But then he, he chooses things like, I'm going to make something from the Noma cookbook. And I'm like, oh, God, okay, I'll see you in five days. We'll have some dinner. Exactly. Like, we've got to stop cooking like that. Yeah. Like, sure, on, on your holiday, like, if that's what you want to do. Yeah. But, oh, don't get me wrong. It's delicious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but also all the stuff that you're doing in those five hours so that he can cook yes. for five hours. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, look, I think that it really is about knowing how to cook. So if it's, and, and that doesn't have to be making pasta from scratch, but whatever it is, whatever you're interested in, I think also it's good to remember that, you know, traditionally when people, there wasn't supermarkets, it's not like, you made the cheese, you made the bread, you made the jam, like your neighbours were doing stuff as well. So this kind of, you know, you'd make friends with a cheesemaker and you'd swap some food out. So it's not like you have to know how to do everything yourself at all. Um, and that's what's nice about being in my industry is I have lots of amazing makers. So I get to swap things out and don't have to try everything. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I think I think it's really important to just... Feel more confident in the kitchen. Not be afraid. Not be afraid of making mistakes either. There's going to be some average meals. There's a lot of average meals in my house as well when I am experimenting with something. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Just bo- a bit boring sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, that's all right as well. 
Yeah. Um, okay. So one more little question that I have for you is around kids, because I think um, raising kids to be literate in this area, yeah. um, while they may go off and have KFC with their buddies yes. in the teen years, <laughs> there's not much anyone can do to prevent oh. that. Yeah. Um, I think that rock solid base is something that they come back to. I think it's a bit of a yeah. boomerang, even if yeah. you can't see it right now. Yeah. What does that boomerang um, look like for you? What kind of conversation, how much do you let them in on everything that you believe in and do? Um, look, they've always, when they were little, they always cooked with me. And I know that's really stressful for a lot of parents. So I think if it stresses you out, don't do it because it's mm. not a nice experience um, for anyone. Um, but I guess I spend a lot of time in the kitchen. So, mm -hmm. you know, and your kids, when they're smaller, are wanting to be around you all the time. So you yeah. in there all the yeah. time. The teenagers less so want to be around <laughs> you. So I'm dragging them into the kitchen. Yeah. Um, look, they know what we're about. They know, I mean, you know, like I write the books at home and I'm cooking a lot and talking about food. And I'm hoping that it will just absorb into them. Mm -hmm. I talk to them about, you know, don't throw stuff in the bin if it's still good. And, but I'm also not, I'm not on their cases really. Oh, they would mm. say I am actually. <laughs> we should ask them. I should pull them into the podcast. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's really important. I think it's an important conversation to have. I'm teaching them how to cook mm. and not, I, I should have, I shouldn't have done it when they were so little. Like mm. I was obsessed with it. That's what you had to do. With yeah, I was fast out of the gate as yeah. well. I totally agree with that. And, and now I'm should... thinking, hold on, yeah. he's actually forgotten a lot of this yeah, stuff and, and we need to get like, him back in. Like it was kind of fun for them for a minute, but it was mm. I had too much pressure on myself that my mm. children were going to be, you know, cooking their own dinner at ten at, when they were 10. Mm. Um, it doesn't happen. But so I now, I've, my son, both my kids are in high school, so I'm really encouraging them to cook a bit more. I always get them to come in and like, all right, you're on the salad tonight or whatever mm. it is. I have to eat a lot of gritty average salads. <laughs> which I don't love. Um, but yeah, so no, I think it's really important. I feel like this book that we wrote is an excellent book for people who are moving out of home. Mm, um, I agree. Because it's a starting point. Like there'll be lots of stuff in there for really, um, you know, experienced cooks who are looking to make changes in their kitchens, but it's that kind of starting point for a lot of people as well. Um, and not so much even that the recipes, the recipes are simple, but um, it's getting you thinking about ingredients. I also think you've got to find food, a love of food on your own and not get it rammed down your throat by your mother. Um, so I, you know, I like some days I'm just like, yeah, man, I'm cool, whatever you're into. And then other days I'm, you know, giving them lectures and showing them alarming YouTube videos. And <laughs> so I don't know, Alex, I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> no, but again, like I think the more we talk about it, the more we realize there's no perfect way to do it. And just... No just include them, get them to yeah. do a few things here and there. Yeah. Um, don't make it just about licking the bowl when there's a chocolate cake on the go. Oh, no, exactly. Mm. Exactly. And look, I grew up with so much food around me all the time and I would come in and out of it as it suited me. But my household, again, when we're talking about cooking all together, you know, I had, there was lots of adults in my house and me, the only child. Um, so there was lots of conversations about food that, you know, I was, didn't really think about that much as a young person, but I guess, it must have absorbed in my skin 
somewhere along yeah. the way. So I'm going with that now. And yes. it's hard with teenagers because they want they want to do their own thing and I've got to kind of be respectful of that as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. Alex, thank you so much. I think oh, your I book talking to you. Yeah, really great conversation. And I think um, your book is so special. It's so beautifully laid out. Um, you guys have done an amazing job and I really am not um, pissing in your pocket when I say this, but I truly believe every home should have it because I think the things that people will learn are quite a lot of the gaps that a lot of people have between where they are now and the I feel like culture yeah. and the intrinsic understanding of what to do with a basket of food without yeah. anybody's help. And yeah. I think your book helps people get there. So thank you for writing it and for all the work you do. Thank you. you uh, wake us all up. It's, awesome. um, it's beautiful work. And uh, if anyone's in Sydney and hasn't been to Cornersmith yet, you've been living under a rock. Get <laughs> over there. And we can't wait to see the cooking school back up and running. Yes. And thank you. And also just a little hats off to everything that you do as well. It's a lot of people come to my classes with, you know, with your book in tow, they know. Oh, they know wow. You do. So it's really nice to, you know, actually sit down and have a proper conversation. We could probably talk for an entire weekend. I think we could. Yeah. Like five part series. Yeah, <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> Thanks so much, Alex. Thanks, Alex. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at Lotox Life or one word or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's Stuart S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life uh, and of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a Lotox Life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lotoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.